Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We're on Uvala Zion. I will say that we're meeting today. We're going to meet next week also, and then I'm taking three weeks off. So Sidur class will not meet the last two Tuesdays in June and the first Tuesday in July. And we'll resume July, then July 12th, but we will meet next week. Okay. We're in Uvalitzion, uh, just before Aleinu, page 80 in the Slim Shalom, 156 in the complete sim. Um, I'm going to review it from the beginning just because it's such a long and complicated prayer. And again, we've said several times that the theme of Uvalitzion in general is the future, uh, that There'll be a time of redemption, what we would call the Mashiach Zeit, and Torah study, and linking the two. And we've said that Uvalitzion was was probably, as it's called, Kedusha de Sidra, the Kedusha of the teaching. It was probably a prayer that was said after a little Tvar Torah, the teaching that was given um, in the morning, and an opportunity was given for people to say Kedusha who didn't catch Kedusha before. Um, or other reasons why there's a Kedusha here. So let's just start off and review. So, uh, and we'll see how the themes of um, Messianic redemption and Torah study run through Uvalitzion. And that's what makes it an appropriate prayer to be said after the lesson or after the sermon of the morning, because basically then the implicit message is we keep studying Torah and that will help bring the Mashiach. So, Uvalitzion Goel, the Redeemer, that clearly refers to the Messiah, to the to uh, those of Jacob who returned from sin, and the second line also from Isaiah, first and second line are from Yeshayahu, talking about God's ruach and God's davar, the word that I have put in your mouth will never depart from the mouths of you and your descendants. So we have right there in these two first verse, first two verses from Isaiah, the theme of the Redeemer will come and the Torah will never cease from your mouth, as it is. That's bad English. Then we have the Kedusha, which also I'd like to point out, we think of it as the Kedusha, but it is also verses from the Bible, Kadosh, 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 and Baruch Hashem. And we assume that because the teaching was in Aramaic, the vernacular, that's why the Kedusha here is translated into the Aramaic. We don't have the Targum or the Aramaic translation of Kedusha. In the Kedusha de Miyushav, the seated Kedusha before the Shema, we don't have it when we say the Kedusha of the Amidah, but we have the Aramaic only here. So we assume it had something to do with a period when, um, whenever this prayer was composed, uh, the authorities wanted the people to make sure they understood the Kedusha in their language, and that's why it's translated into Aramaic here, but not in the first two Kedushas. Okay? Then, um, we continue to have, after Kedusha, a bunch of verses, which are, again, citations from elsewhere in the Tanakh. Hashem Elohei Avraham Yitzchak Yisrael Avotenu. So I'm at the bottom of page 80 in the slim and in the middle of page 156. Okay. So Hashem, um, uh, God of our ancestors, um, 
please impress this on us forever and direct our hearts to be towards you because God, you are merciful and you're not angry all the time and you forgive sin. Okay. So that's Hashem Lohizo through Kiatar Naitova Salak Rav Chesed Lechol Korecha. So we have one, two, there are really three verses, although it comes uh, up to be five lines. And then that takes us to Tzit Kadcha. Okay. Um, page 81. We're still page eight, sorry, top of page 81 in the slim, near the bottom of page 156 in the sim. Um, so Hashem, you are righteous forever and your Torah is truth. So Torah is equated with truth. And then we have the verse from Micah, right? So give truth to Jacob, although in context of Micah, it probably, Emet is like more like Emunah. It probably means faithfulness or loyalty. Be faithful to Jacob and kind to Abraham, who you swore to our ancestors long ago. I'll come back to that verse in a moment, Alan. And then we have more verses. Blessed is Hashem who carries us every day. Hashem is our stronghold, our misgav. Hashem, happy is the person who trusts in you. Hashem saves. Okay, so all of those are themes of um, again, Hashem's connection to us through Torah and through salvation or rescuing. Okay. I think that's as far as we got last time. Um, Alan asked, I think was it Alan who asked, how come we have Yaakov and Avraham, but not Yitzchak? So to which I said last time, well, the non-Frum answer, the secular Bible scholar answer would be, because at the time that was written, I guess Yitzchak wasn't part of the story yet, and he got put in the story only later on. By the way, I did look it up. Um, Yitzchak is mentioned in the prophets virtually never. And what's the most important thing, usually when we mention Yitzchak, the memory of Yitzchak, what's the most important thing that happened in Yitzchak's life that's identified with Yitzchak in later generations. Akedah Yitzchak. The Akedah, the binding of Isaac, which is, to us is like, oh, this is a big deal, right? The prophets who use all sorts of images from Israelite history to evoke repentance in the people never mention the Akedah. The Akedah is not mentioned anywhere in, let us call it, First Temple literature. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, but, but that would not be a sufficient from answer, right? That it wasn't written yet is not an acceptable answer from the traditional mindset. So let's look at it from the traditional mindset. This question has been raised before. As I said to Alan, all great questions that are asked frequently, there is someone who thought of that question in the last 1500 or 2000 years, not to take anything away from Alan. He stands on, <laughs> stands, stands on the shoulders of giants, but let's ask the question differently. Okay, we're asking, we're framing the question as, hey, Yitzchak is missing. Why is Yitzchak missing? And the commentators frame the question differently. They say, well, obviously, Yitzchak 
wouldn't be missing, if we're talking about Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be left out. He's here in this verse. Maybe it's just not obvious to us. So what do you think they say? Where is Yitzchak in this verse? Rather than saying, oh, how come he's missing? Assuming he's here. Assuming that it's, it does cover the Avot, the ancestors, Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Where is the invisible Yitzchak in this verse? Like, where's Waldo? Well, we have Titain Emet Yaakov, probably not in there. Chesed Lavraham, really too short. We can't put him in there. So we have the rest of the verse. Asher Nishpata Lavotenu, Mime Kedem. I'm pausing for guesses. Avotenu. Okay, that's one word. Avotenu is pretty broad. It's all the ancestors. The only other word that things that I... I, Nishpata in terms of the the oath. And what oath might that be, Alan B.? You're a poet. You don't know it, Um, and you know it. Excuse me. Um, What oath did Yaakov that that he never left the land? How could Nishpata? How could Nishpata possibly refer to Yitzchak? Is it that he made the oath never to leave the land? uh, uh, It's a good guess. Not correct. All right. No one here. No one present here. Uh, knows ch- uh, Breshit chapter 22 by heart off the top of their head. But when the angel appears from heaven and says, Avraham, Avraham, don't do it, don't do it. I was just kidding. I was just checking. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, the message from God is, be nishbati neum Hashem. I swear by myself, saith the Lord, that because you did not withhold your beloved son from me, I will fulfill the promise to you. Okay? So the word that's used there in the Akedah that God said is, I take an oath. So the traditional commentators see, Asher Nishpata, God, you swore. What is that swearing that you did? It's what you swore to Avraham and Yitzchak at the Akedah. So their assumption is, no, no, no. Yitzchak isn't missing. You just need to know how to read the verse to um, see uh, how Yitzchak is present. Actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a quick, uh, to tell you the exact verse. I'm sorry. I didn't prepare this in advance, but it'll take me a second. Exit, uh, sorry, Bray sheet. Chapter 22, verse 16. God says, Binishpati, I swear by myself. You know, we swear by God, right? When we, in biblical, when you take a big oath, Hashem swears by God's self, right? I swear by myself because you have done this thing, not withheld your son. I will bless you and you will have many offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the, um, uh, sand on the seashore. So that's Breshit chapter 22, verse 16 and 17. So the, all of the commentators see Asher Nishpata as a coded reference to the Akedah, and that is how they find Yitzchak in here. 
Again, we asked it as the wrong question. We, we framed the question. We, Alan noticed the bump in the text and he framed it as, well, where's, why is Yitzchak missing? The traditional commentators would frame it as, well, of course, Yitzchak couldn't be missing. Where is Yitzchak in the verse? Okay. Um, by the way, this goes back to the Targum, the Aramaic translation of, um, the prophets which is in, let's say, in Talmudic times. There are different, we've said this before, there are different Targumim, different Aramaic translations, just as there are different English translations, and they all have a different purpose, uh, a different, I don't want to say purpose, but editorial philosophy. Uh, some of them are literalists, or as close to literalists, that's Targum Unclus, which we're familiar with from the Chumash. But the uh, some of the other Targumim, including um, the one on the prophets, uh, is more, I'm going to say, midrashic and expansionist. And the Targum for this verse in Micah says, when you, which, when you swore to Yitzchak at the Akeda for the translation of Asher Nishbat al makes it explicit so that the people in Shul who are reading the Targum, who are listening to it in Aramaic will know exactly what it refers to. Okay, so they do this interpretive move to bring Yitzchak back in. Any questions about that? Okay, ingenious, Alan, is it not? Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, okay. Then we have um, more verses. I believe. Um, I'm trying to remember if these lines, next few lines, are original or from the Tanakh. Does someone have a Sidur where every, uh, I, I think I have one, where, um, no, I don't have that Sidur in hand, where every verse that's from the Tanakh is in the margin? Yes, I do. Okay. Um, yeah, it's not accurate, though, this particular Sidur. Because I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember. On about the Baruch Hu if that is a quote or if that's an original composition. So blessed is Hashem who created us for God's own glory, separated us from those who go astray. Who are those who go astray? It's not a trick question. Apostates. Could be apostates or because we're going to say Vinatan Lanu Torah Emet gave us the true Torah. So who didn't get the true Torah? Oh, the other nations. Gentiles, correct. Okay. So thank you, God, for making us different than those who go astray by giving us the true Torah, which plants in our midst eternal life. So here we have the very explicit linking of Torah with the messianic future. Okay. It's because we have the Torah that we have messianic future eternal life, right? So it's an assurance that this thing that we've just been engaged in, Torah study, uh, is the path to life eternal, the time of the Messiah, life after death, um, however you want to put it. So it is the Torah which gives us Chaye Olam. So this is the explicit linking. So we hope... So we hope that God will open our heart to Torah and will open our heart to love and reverence God 
to do God's will fully, right? So that our efforts will not be in vain. May we not, uh, hard phrase, sort of give birth to confusion. Okay? So, and the behala here, the, the words for, um, we, we have the positives, we have Torah, right? Um, and that's contrasted with the negatives. The negative words in this are to'im, those who go astray, nigalarik, laboring for nothing, and la behala, giving birth to confusion. Um, our translator means, uh, translates this as, nor shall our children suffer confusion. Maybe. Okay. So basically, without Torah, our lives would be going astray, laboring for nothing, and leading to confusion. What makes us heave dilanu from that, separated from that, is Torah. So we have here a sort of a somewhat different version of the idea in Ahava Rabbah, right? Remember the Ahava Rabbah, the second paragraph of the Shema service, the paragraph right before um, the Shema itself, right? The idea of it is God loves us. What is the proof of God's love for us? The Torah, okay? That God does not allow us, and what's implicit in that is um, God does not allow us to wander around without guidance. So implicit in that idea is if you love someone and you are in a position of superiority to them, right? Behind the scenes in all this is the metaphor of God as parent, okay? But it's kind of really, um, uh, you know, under the surface. If you love someone and you are in a position superior to them, you do not allow them to wander around blindly, because if they wander around blindly, their efforts, their fumbling efforts, may be likely to lead to reek and behala, a waste and to confusion. If you love someone, you, you, you don't say to them, you're going downtown, bye, have a good time. You say, here's how you go downtown. You take a right at the corner, and then you take two lefts, and then at the light, you fork to the right, okay? Rather than say, okay, you're going, good luck. So behind this is the idea, the metaphor of God as uh, the, the, the closest human analog would be a parent. It might be a teacher, but it's that God gives us guidance, and it is guidance that ensures a future. Were it not for that guidance through the form of Torah, to take it back to Uvalitzion, we would stumble around blindly and all our efforts would yield nothing. You might say this is not a very rosy view of, you know, human nature, but I think this is the theology of it. Okay. Um, yes, Michael. From the English, I get the impression that, that the whoever composed this paragraph felt that Torah was difficult, difficult perhaps to understand or to interpret or to apply, and is asking God to, to make it easier for us to, to understand it so that we will not be laboring in vain and be confused. 
Yes, although I'm not sure it's about understanding, it's about opening our minds to it. So I think you're taking that to be sort of an intellectual thing, help me understand Mm -hmm. it. And it may really be, it could be, and it could be an emotional thing, help us be open to that which we study. So again, think of this in context. Think of it as the sage just gave the morning to our Torah. Okay. And now says, you know, God gave us the Torah for guidance. This is what ensures our future. You are just, you know, you know, the Jew in the pew who's about to go out and do your job for the day. And this message is, this thing that we've been engaging in, Torah study, is a, uh, it doesn't use the word gift, I'm translating it into English, a gift from God, and this is our vehicle for ensuring a future. Mm. You gave it to our ancestors, okay? This is what separates us from the Gentiles. This is what plants eternal life in our midst, and please help us be open to studying and doing um, wholeheartedly so that our efforts in life are not pointless. Uh, okay. The implication being otherwise, your efforts in life may well be pointless. Life will amount to nothing more than a hill of beans, if I may quote a movie. Okay. Um, so let, let's just finish up the, the thought in Uvalitsi, and then we can discuss. Now we have an original composition, the Yihirat Zone. That's not a quote from the Bible. Right? May it be your will that we keep the laws in this world. Couldn't get more explicit than this, right? So Hashem, may it be your will that we keep the laws in this world. And so that we will merit to inherit all the good stuff in the days of the Messiah and the world to come, life after death, or as some of the more contemporary translators say, who want to sort of avoid the question of life after death, they translate Olam Haba as the world that is coming. Okay, that's how they do a little sidestep about the actual question of life after death. Okay, we're all invested in the world that is coming. Okay, so Hashem, may we keep the Torah in this world and merit to see the days of the Messiah and the world to come. Kavod probably means here self, right? So that myself, I will sing, presumably your praises, and not be silent. Hashem Elokai Le'olam Odeka. I will praise you forever. Right? So I'm saying thank you. Yeah, so I'm going to keep the Torah in this world, which will help me get to the next world. And that way I will be able to say thank you, God, forever. Le'olam. Okay? I'm saying thank you now because I have the guidance. Thank you for giving me the directions so I don't get lost on my way to downtown, right? And thank you that this will ensure some um, 
ultimately meaningful future. I'm going to put it that way to avoid the question that many moderns are uncomfortable with about the question of actual life after death. And also I'll phrase it as an ultimately meaningful future, the world that is coming. Baruch, back to verses. Now we're back to verses from the Bible. The Yehiratzon was the original composition, but now we're back to collection of verses. Baruch hagever ashev tach baronai vayadonai miftacho. That's kind of logical, right? At this point, right? It's from Jeremiah. Blessed is the person who trusts God. God will be his surety. Bitchu vadonai adeyad kibiya adonai sur olamim. Trust in God forever because in God is the rock of eternity or something like that, meaning the most secure thing. So this is now a, um, right? I, I've linked, I, I've done kind of an explanatory thing about Torah and Mashiach. And now I'm saying, therefore, trust in God, because this is the ultimate thing to trust in. May those who know your name, again, probably a link to those who are involved in Torah study, may they trust in you, Hashem. Kilo azafta dor shecha. Hashem, you will not abandon you abandon those who dorate you. I think this is a pun, right? Because on the because in in the pshat, biblical pshat, dorate means to seek. You won't abandon those who seek you. But of course, dorate in the context of this rabbinic context where this prayer is composed, where I'm talking about Torah study, dorate obviously also has the mean uh, the meaning of expounding, right? Like drasha or midrash, right? It means what we do when we study Torah. Anytime we study Torah, we don't just read verb lines from the Bible. We talk about what it means. We expound on it, right? So God, you will not abandon your seekers or you will not abandon your um, expounders. Who are the expounders? Us sitting here who just heard the sermon. So all of this is a message to the Kahal who just sat through the sermon. You, you, you just think of a context of like, if instead of saying Uvalatzion here, for example, um, if we said it on Shabbat morning, which we do not, we say it Shabbat afternoon. Okay. But, but just think of the, think of it of, if we said a prayer, what, what would it be like if we said a prayer after the sermon, right? This is the prayer after the sermon, right? God, you gave us the Torah. You gave it to our ancestors. This is a mark of faithfulness, loyalty. We will keep it. May we always keep it. This helps ensure that we do have an ultimately meaningful future. And I'm concluding by saying, and so all ye, Trust in God because this is the thing to trust in because those who are your door shecha, which could mean those who seek you or those who are your people who sat through the sermon, right? Will never be abandoned. Be a good slogan for the rabbi to use. Kiloa zafta door shecha Hashem, right? Don't walk out during the sermon. Adonai chafetz lamansi ko. Yagdil Torah Viadir. 
why does God do this? God does this on God's own set at God's own righteousness, which sort of way of saying God does this because this is what God wants. Okay. To make Torah bigger and more glorious. Right. Again, a very fitting conclusion to, uh, we just studied and now we're summarizing the role of Torah as sort of a fundamentally ultimate part of the world, right? The only thing you can rely on or that you should rely on is God. What is the manifestation of God that we have? Torah study. This is the thing that Baruch HaGevashem, I imagine someone um, pointing their finger, the Darshan pointing their finger at the Kahal when they say this for emphasis, right? You go out there today and you trust in God because that is the, that is the stronghold because God does not abandon those who study Torah. And God does this all just to magnify and sanctify Torah, which is God's manifestation on earth, which is God's manifestation on earth is what I just put in, in, in parentheses. Okay. So it, the, the whole thing, I don't want to say every single word without digression, but in general, the whole thing of Uvalatzion is a one with the one long commercial for Torah study. So we had originally probably a teaching from the prophets. The only thing that's left from the teaching is the first part through the Kedusha. The sermon was left out because people were short on time because they had to go out to their job in the marketplace. So the sermon got trimmed down to just a few verses from the prophets, the opening verses through the Kedusha. And then we have a whole long series of prayers that basically boils down to thank you, God, for giving us the Torah. This is what makes our lives ultimately meaningful. And so you go out there today and trust in God because God does not abandon those who are the Torah studiers because the most important manifestation of God's presence on earth, which is the most glorious thing, is Torah. Pause. Question, comment, thought. I hope I've made a, I've tried to make, and I, I didn't make this up, I mean, I've done research, a reasonable argument on this question of what is this incredibly long prayer and how does it hang together? The question that everyone asks. Uh, the, all those you know, who are less familiar with davening who come to Valencia and say, like, why is this here? And what is it about? So, so why is it here is because it's a vestige of a practice that doesn't exist anymore, the Dvar Torah in the morning at the end of davening, uh, of which the only part of the Dvar Torah is left is the first part through the Kedusha. And what is it all about? It's about uh, what we just engaged in, it's not prayer at this point, in the service, but Torah study is the thing that ensures life eternal and makes our lives as the Jewish people ultimately meaningful. I think that's the argument of Uvalitzia. Pause, question, comment, thoughts, yes. argument. Yes. Alan. Ari, first, thank you for doing that additional research into into how Yitzchak is present in Nishpat Alavotenu and its reference to Breshi 22. I really liked that. And I really liked 
what you did with Dorshecha here at, at the end about not just to pursuing it, but also drawing it in that way. It's, it's a great pun and really emphasizes what's going on. Um, and for explaining this whole long, complicated service that I'd never really thought of before this prayer. I just have one. It's a technical question uh-huh. that I've never seen before in something that says, it says, it says, Beyah Adonai. Yeah. And it seems to be a redundancy there because it's, you know, it's key. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure the Kabbalists have all sorts of interpretations because they have interpretations about all the different names of God mean different things. I mean, sometimes Ezekiel says, you know, Yechezkel's word is Hashem Elohim. We actually in the Haftorah yesterday had Elohim Adoshem in Chavakuk. So I don't have a answer off the top of my head. There'd be some Kabbalistic answer, no doubt, which, which I don't know what that Kabbalistic answer would be. But yes, right. Two names for God back to back. We have two names for God back to back elsewhere in the Tanakh. Sometimes the question is always, is it for poetic reasons? Is it intentional reasons? What's the difference between Yah and Adoshem? I don't know. Okay. That one I'm not going to do research on. <laughs> no problem. Yes. Actually, I have a book with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, a couple of things with a, uh, a what do you call it? Uh, mystical commentary to the sea door. So if I have a chance, I'll look into that. Okay. Good. Other thoughts? Larry. Is there a mi- well, not minor, but anyways, <clears throat> there's no chance that this was added for people who came late to the service or needed to do something quickly. <clears throat> like, I think, I may be wrong, in Mariv, we have the Baruch Adonai Loyam Amen Amen, which we shouldn't do, but we do in any case. Um, there's no, no, no possibility this was sort of an addition. Well, the Kedusha, well, we said when we talked about the Kedusha that one of the theories behind why there's a Kedusha now is for people who came late. I'm not sure that would explain the rest of it, though. Do you think that could explain the rest of it, Larry? No. Right. Um, well, I cynically think that there's a lot of additions to the service um, that we keep for that were ad- that were put in for various reasons, and the attitude seems to be, "Oh, that's good. Let's keep it anyways." But- yes. Yeah. Um, but again, it is interesting. It is called the kedusha desidra. It's the kedusha of the seder, which means the seder usually means a teaching based on some verses. And so my related question is, am I wrong in thinking that in some places we do, no, I know I'm right, we do a Kaddish Rabbanan at the end of services, maybe adding um, the paragraph of Amar Rabbi Elazar, Amar Rabbi Thinia, Yeah, we do, like a, we do a Torah study, correct. We do a Torah study. Um, and that's, a, right, that's another way of doing that, of having a little Torah study at the end. And by the way, there, we don't conventionally do this, but, um, the halacha suggests there are various practices of Torah study that you should do individually after davening, right? So we have a Torah study of, uh, Maimonides 13 principles. Uh, here, I'm just looking at my, you know, traditional 
Sidur, if you look at my, my traditional, which means Orthodox, right? And, and this after, is in addition to the Torah study we do before. Correct. With the brachot, and all that. Correct. Yeah, because the 13 mitot, or, or we, we, the, the 13 uh, rules of interpretation, yes. we, we study at the very beginning traditionally. Yes, right. So you can make a nice argument about, oh, we have the 13 rules of interpretation uh, at the beginning, and then we have the 13 principles of uh, from Maimonides at the end. And that's part of, so there are various little passages that you're supposed to um, study every day on your own. If you look in uh, like a complete Orthodox Sidur, you will have them. They're not part of the service. So yeah, yes, there are Torah studies sprinkled here and there. Not in the Shema, not in the Amidah, I want to point out, right? The core davening is Shema and the Amidah. We warm up for the Shema with Psuke de Zimra. So those sections do not contain Torah study. Michael? I just want to ask quickly, maybe you said this in the first Great. day. Yeah. Why do we omit these, the paragraph, when we're in a house of mourning? Oh, um, I did not. We did not mention that. Um, I remember studying that a while ago, and I don't remember the answer, and I'll look it up. I was, I would say because, because it's, 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 is rubbing the nose of the mourners in the fact that they just lost somebody who is not going to be able to have upon their lips and the lips of their children uh, um, uh, the, the God's covenant with them. Right. Although it's about the children, this line. So, you know, if my, my, my 97-year-old grandmother just died, I'm not sure why I'd omit the line uh, I guess it wouldn't be my grandmother, it'd be my mother, right? Because you're as a grandmother, I wouldn't be a mourner, right? Technically, um, so I'm not sure if it were if it were a quote unquote normal healthy death, uh, normal healthy expected death of someone who is old and full of days. I'm not sure why we'd be upset about saying the zeras are a hop. So let me, uh, I'll, I'll check on that. I, I I studied it once and I can't remember the answer off the top of my head. Michael, did you have a question? Uh, yes, I was going to say we were talking about the 13 attributes and, 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 and the 13 rules of interpretation. There is yet another 13, which is in the traditional Sidor, before we even begin the davening, is, is the Yigdal. Well, right. That's a poem based on Rambam's 13 attributes. Right. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's wrap it up here. Well, what are we going to do next week? I don't know then, because it's a one week before three weeks off. So I don't want to start a lenu. So maybe I'll try to come to, uh, maybe I'll try to answer the mourner question. Let's see, there was the mourner question. And there was, what was the other one? I just said, I'll look into that. Just said it in the last. Kibia, the, the mystical interpretation. All right, Kibia. I'll look into Kibia and I'll look into the, um, and I'll look into the mourner question and maybe I'll bring the texts about um, Yitzchak and Nishpata. Okay. That would be a good way to wrap up Uval Etzion. Okay. Everyone have a good day. Stay healthy. Be Torah. Thanks for joining us. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.